We're back on Cyrus today. It may be the last lesson on Cyrus for a little bit. I don't know if we'll revisit it again or not soon. Uh, but he's mentioned, like I say, some 30 times in the Bible. And he's a type of Jesus Christ. And we got into him from the last few verses of chapter 44 in, chapter, in Isaiah. But the first few chapters of 40, chapter 45 talks of Cyrus from 45, 1 through 7. And we know God had raised up Cyrus to do his bidding to prove to him and all the world who is the true God because, you know, like I said, the people back then, most of them was polytheistic. Uh, Cyrus himself was come from a polytheistic nation and, and the people around him. He was a Gentile king whom God said was his anointed. Now, like I said, he said he was the true God. There's no God beside him. Because, in other words, to put to rest some people thinking about these different gods that we talked about, of Buddha, and about light and darkness, and good and evil, and one being the opposite of others, and went through yin and yang, and all of these things. God... It says in verse 2 of Isaiah 44, uh, 45, that God went before Cyrus, paving the way for his victories and policies so that his will and his plan would move forward. We were talking about the sovereignty of God, whereas the whole bit of Isaiah in this portion speaks of God's sovereignty over all, that there's no other God beside him. He knoweth not of any. Now, we may have made gods many. We may have these idols and false gods that we make and worship, but he's saying he's sovereign. He's sovereign over the world, over everything. So, But in his sovereignty, that means he rules and controls all. But I told you, and we talked about God's divine providence, his providence is his divine care of guiding and leading. And that's where that anointing comes in. That's where our lives come in, the one of ones of us that are predestinated by God. So once we start seeing, uh, once he converts us, or once we start to believe or have faith in him, we start seeing things from a different perspective. We start seeing it. From his perspective, you know, we start being able to analyze what other religions or other people are talking about. And just like I was telling you during the prayer, you can spot us, say something that's out of place or whatever. So we started to see, well, hey, he chose me. I didn't choose him. You know, a lot of people say, well, choose Christ, let him into your life and just accept Christ. And you realize what the scriptures mean when they say, I chose you. You didn't choose me. He had chose us. From the foundations of the world, it had been his choice. He had chosen us and that we're just following a path. And those of us that believe on him hanging on the cross, that it is finished. All we have to do is walk therein. He gives us sight. The anointing, I tell you, what breaks the yoke. We know that the Laodicean church was blind and naked. 
even though they were spiritually lukewarm, he says that they were blind and naked and they needed assabda and the anoint their eyes and clothing, in other words, covered with the spirit so that they wouldn't be naked, that they would put on Christ. Well, we see that everything that we have done, that God's been with me before I was born. From the foundations of the world, I see that my path had been outlined in this world, and it's been his providential care of me all the way through life. Everything I've done, it's a reason and a purpose there. Just like with all of us, it, we had been predestinated. It had been determined by God. It says we should be able to look back at that history and see how God worked to bring all the necessary elements into place for his purpose to be fulfilled. And I'll tell you about Cyrus. To go back and read some of the secular history, how it corresponds with Cyrus, who had been given away as a child. He was given away to a shepherd. Maybe that's why it's irony that he was called God's shepherd. But his parent, his father, gave him away at birth because he didn't want Cyrus to raise up to take the throne of anything by exactly that's what happened, right? Mm -hmm. But it's by God's providence. He guided his life. We see where God guides our life. A lot of things that I could have did, choices I've made, I see where they fall into place. As Joseph, probably during that time, he didn't think it was, we'd be talking about good. I don't think he thought it was good to be thrown into prison for 13 years for something he didn't do. I don't think he thought it was good to be sold into Egypt by his very flesh. His own brothers had sold him into Egypt. But you see, that Manasseh that God had given him in his life that caused him to forget, he seen that God had brought about the suffering in the things in his life that God had determined these things even though in God's sovereignty, that the brothers, their motivation, they did it for evil. They did it in an evil way. But it says, if we look at the scriptures, he says, all things, not some things, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. See, Joseph was seeing and know his path in life. He see that God was always with him. He give God the glory. So he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So all of the calamity, all of the suffering, all of the pain, everything we go through, it's necessary for God making us who and what we are. We can't tell the potter how to do our lives. So all of our sufferings and hurts and everything is just meant in God's, that's in God's will. But in God's sovereignty, just like Pharaoh, it's not that God was directing Pharaoh's life or whatever. It's just that God is in control of all situations and the maintenance of the world. But it was Pharaoh's choices that led him that he was God, God left him to himself. We would all be in bad shape if left unto ourselves. You don't want God to leave you alone. I pray never leave me alone. David says, never take your spirit, let not your spirit depart from me. We wouldn't, without him, he says, we can do nothing. Is that not what Jesus said? Yes. 
Without me, you can do nothing. After God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish his people, he raised up Cyrus to deliver them from their captivity in Babylon and return them to their land. Used the despot, a king like Nebuchadnezzar, whom God had determined, and he calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. But he was a different type servant, so there's a different character and things that God allowed in his life that God was presiding over. But he chose Nebuchadnezzar to bring his people into captivity, to punish his people for not observing his Sabbath, for not observing his word. And that's what we're going to preach on Saturday is about God confirming his word. All of this is to confirm God's word. This is God's word. And God does things to confirm his word. For the real reason, uh, he raised Cyrus to deliver them from their captivity in Babylon and return them to their land. For the real Christ to be born in Bethlehem, as the prophecy states, Jews had to be living in Judea. So that's why Cyrus sent them back out of captivity to build the temple. He also inspired Cyrus to institute his conciliatory policy toward foreign religions so that a temple could be built to which his son could come. That was Herod's temple. You remember the temple that Jesus visited, that he says that no stone would be left undone. Well, that temple was built so Jesus could come to that specific temple. That was initiated by Cyrus in I don't care how secular history or secular people write this or whatever, it was Cyrus' policy, but Jesus had put it inside. This is the divine providence of the type of king Cyrus was. You remember I was telling you about his humanity, his humanistic endeavors and what all Cyrus did. Well, he would repatriate the people back to their lands and that de- de- Jerusalem was desolate, so he told them to go back and build, and whoever would. Now, all of them didn't go back. You remember I told you? I'll cover that Saturday also. Out of some 60 million Jews, only maybe 30,000 went back. That's the remnant that always returned. So don't think all of the people in the church are, are this Christianity, all of the Christians, Maybe one or two out of each church, out of each place or whatever. God doesn't take the masses. The masses didn't return to Jerusalem. They didn't return a bit because just like he caused us out of Babylon, he sent them out of Babylon. Well, most people won't come out of Babylon. He calls us out of the world, which is this Babylon, which is our Babylon. And as he calls them out of the world, he calls us out of the world. Okay. So, as being called out of the world, out of Babylon, only a few return. But that's what he inspired Cyrus to do, and Cyrus was that type of king. Among other points, Jerusalem had to be rebuilt so Jesus could be could die outside the city for our sins, because no prophet hadn't did it that way, and that he had to perish outside of the gate. Because of scripture, the way scripture is written and because of God's word. He have to, as he told John the Baptist, John said, I have you, I have need to be baptized of you. You asking to be baptized of me. Jesus said, no, do it to fulfill righteousness sake, for all righteousness sake. 
we have to do these things to fulfill God's word. That's why we love our neighbor. That's why we love. Why, if we of Jesus Christ, if we're born again, we of his spirit, he says, love ye one another. That's fulfilling the royal law, loving your neighbor. But only the scriptures can define who is our neighbor. But only Jesus Christ can give us of his spirit, of his anointing to help cause us to learn to love our enemies. It's a lot of us, let alone love our enemies. We don't love the people in church with us. We don't love our family. We don't love people that's even close to us. We are bickering and arguing and hateful or whatever. But love causes a does no ills. We have to purge all of that stuff out of us that's not like Christ. But he who is of God, love it. You can't love God and hate your brothers. That's not possible. No other God can do all the things that God does because there's no God. So that's the sovereignty of the God we're talking about. Only the most high God, the almighty sovereign of the universe, can work out events over such a long period of time. He tells us the end from the beginning. And he, throughout the, these few chapters, he says, you go about bringing your astrologers, your soothsayers, and who can tell of the things that has been or will be. Let them speak of it. Let them tell me the end from, let them say of these things which have come past. And then he say, you know what? I'll work out a new thing. I'll cause a new thing to come to pass. And he frustrates the diviners and the soothsayers and all of the prognosticators that say different, the, the false prophets, in other words, is pro, these people that are saying things and they don't come to pass. You remember Earl, this Campo, oh, I didn't forget his name, Camping or whatever, Harold Camping or something, was saying about the return of Jesus Christ was supposed to be, he didn't predict that two or three times. But you have people that's rising up and saying these things. He can take sinful men who have never even desired a relationship with him and cause them to do his will and bring about his purposes. That's because he manipulates or he manages events in life through his sovereignty. Now, he doesn't cause the evil man to do these things or whatever. I mean, let me say not cause because he calls and creates calamities. But it's of their own free violation, like the Syrian king, Sennacherib. He wasn't doing the will of God. He was doing it because he was wicked and evil. Whereas these people, God leads them to themselves, but they accomplished the will of God. I read that to y'all last week. He was doing all these things which was part of what God said he would do, which, which was part of God's will, but he wasn't doing it to accomplish God's will. God is in control. He says, light, darkness, peace, a calamity, none of these things happen without his permission. What happened with Job? I talked about Job last week. Everything Satan did to him was within the will of God. He had to ask permission for everything that happened in Job's life. But wasn't it God orchestrating these things because it was a work he was doing in Job? So that was part of his sovereign will. 
because none of this was providential in Job's. The providential part of it was that God knew that Satan couldn't get, curse, get Job to curse him to his face because God knew how he had reared Job up and that he says Job was his servant and that's why he was willing. He says, have you tried my servant Job? Because God knew a God doesn't tempt us with evil and he knew this couldn't tempt anything that happened to Job. These trials and tribulations couldn't cause Job to curse him. God can be tempted with evil and he doesn't tempt us with evil. So these things, Job bore these things, even though a lot of people couldn't have bore them, but his faith, a trust, a belief in God. But as he was going through those things, we see that he didn't really understand that it was God. He did say he charged these things to God. He did charge it because he knew of God's sovereignty of everything. He wasn't saying Satan. He was saying God had did all these things. But it was to illustrate to us, we're the clay. We're the clay that the potter is shaping. We have no reason to murmur and complain with what God's doing in our lives. That's why he told us in Corinthians, without murmuring and complaining. So the things that's happening to us are happening to us because God is allowing it. Nothing happens that God doesn't allow. Sicknesses, infirmities, all these things because his people were healed by his stripes. But our faith has to increase to the point that we can see that through God's perspective. And if it's in his will, we overcome it. We have faith to be healed. But that takes a whole lot of doing on our portion of it. But his providential will had set it there that it can be so. If that's part of his purpose for you in life. I'm trying to go slow with that because that's a whole lot to chew. It's like chewing not a teaspoon, but a tablespoon, a cooking spoon of peanut butter. It sticks your mouth up. It gobs you up. You have to kind of, that has to kind of dissolve that. You have to kind of, it goes, that's why he says, meditating on my word day and night. You can't just read God's word and here it is. No, you have to meditate. You have to think about this. You have to let it run through your memory channels. You have to run it through your inner beings. You have to assimilate the word into yourself. Remember I was telling you becoming the word and the word becoming one with you. You becoming one with the word. Because you know the Father and the Son and the Spirit, all of them in there says we'll come and dwell with you. But that temple has to be cleansed. That temple has to take time. All of this takes time. I, the Lord, do all these things, he says. So sometime around 700 B.C., God inspired the prophet Isaiah to write a prophecy concerning his anointing, anointed, his Messiah. This person would act for God upon the earth, conquering kingdoms, rebuilding Jerusalem and the temple, and shepherding his people. God would go before him and even hold his hand, Isaiah writes, giving him fame, riches, and power as only God can. Now, it's not in the Bible where Cyrus came from, all these things. It's like I was telling you through the weeks, on the month or so, uh, you know, pre 
throughout time, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness probably that heard this broadcast or hearing this broadcast, I think some 25 different countries have heard this month's broadcast, and we we got a pretty interesting number. That I've got it in your in you to be email it to you. I email it to you. Uh, but how the broadcast went out. So those that that's doing this probably didn't look up Cyrus and going on the internet and researching Cyrus and studying Cyrus and the victories and all of what he's been doing because he's there in secular. It's defined, but it's not scripturally. You only see it here, but this is Cyrus. They found the Cyrus cylinder thing and how his campaigns, even his birth, led up to where he is now. It led up to all of these victories and how he became dominant, but how this came about, you see, well, yeah, only Cyrus could have did it. You understand, you can understand God better. That's why it says the Old Testament is where our admonition. Okay, but as we keep going, and God gave his riches and fame, Daniel's prophecies of the four beasts in Daniel 7 describes the Persia Empire. This is the empire that Cyrus was over. This is what grew. This is what I told you, Iran is Modern-day Iran is Persia. And this was where Cyrus was over that kingdom. It was raised up on one side, verse 5 says, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. Being raised up on one side indicates the dominance of one part within it. That's the Persians were without doubt the primary kingdom. That was the strength of this beast, but he looked lopsided because Cyrus was also king of the Medians, the Medes of the Medians. He was a Median, and that's how it says Persian, and of the Medes. So, but the Medes wasn't as dominant, as strong as Persia. That's why it's kind of a one-sided beast. But these other three ribs that's in his mouth of the other kingdoms, he was devouring all of those other kingdoms. Assyria and all of those. And he went and took Babylon, which was the dominant kingdom of that time. But Babylon, Babylon had failed a whole lot because after Nebuchadnezzar retired or was over, he turned it over to his son or grandson or whatever, but Babylon had lost a lot of what it, but it was still just like the United States at one time. It was the world superpower right now. It is still the world superpower. But like, you remember I said Babylon is fallen. Well, that's the position Babylon was in when Cyrus came in and the two lead gate was open and he took Babylon without a fight, without any resistance the way he came in through the river Euphrates. The three ribs signified three primary kingdoms that Cyrus conquered, out of which he called his empire. That was Media, the Lydian, and Babylon. As for devouring much flesh, Cyrus' long career of conquest makes this apparent. Some might wonder if Cyrus fulfilled the prophecy given twice, that's Isaiah 44 and 28 and Isaiah 45 and 13, 
that Jerusalem would be built. It is true that Cyrus did not specifically decree that the city should be rebuilt, but it is assumed is what he's been. But remember, it was under Darius in where uh, Nehemiah went back to build the city. You remember the walls and things was down and whatever? But it was Cyrus that initiated that Darius, when the people I told you last week that tried to stop the building, they went back and found the decree where Cyrus had decreed. And according to the decrees of the Mede, Persians and the Mede, they couldn't be changed. But that Cyrus had decreed that this temple be built, not necessarily the cities, but the building of the temple was the linchpin of it all. Why would a temple be built in Jerusalem if no one lived there? Well, obviously some housing and commerce would need to be built to sustain those who worked on the temple. In addition, it is Cyrus' conciliatory policy that provided the basis for the more explicit decrees by Darius in 520 BC. You can read it in Ezra 6, 6 through 12 at Artaxerxes. You remember Artaxerxes? It's in Artaxerxes 1, that's 444 B.C., and then it's in Nehemiah 2, 1 through 8, to rebuild the city. That's when the city was rebuilt, okay? The greatest establishment of the, in the world of the world is the kingdom of God in it. That's Psalms 94, 11 to 13, 98, 7 through 9. Uh, and so as they establish this, it's like the new Jerusalem that comes down in Revelations. That new Jerusalem that comes down in Revelation, we're talking about the spiritual church. We're talking about the mountain that Daniel talks about in the earth, the mountain of the Lord, where all people proceed unto to worship the Lord because it won't be false religion. This is the temple that's being rebuilt, the spiritual temple, whereas Jesus Christ laid the foundation for this because he says that he was going to tear that temple. He says, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was talking about his body, but his body is a spiritual temple. We're part of the body of Christ, the living temple of God. He's building a abode. He's preparing the place that he's preparing for us is here on earth, but it's a spiritual preparation. It takes place elsewhere. In other words, him ruling and reigning from heaven, but the preparations of the place is the new heaven and new earth that's right here. The Davidic kingdom, the kingdom of God, why he said the kingdom of heaven is among you. I mean, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom of God is within you. So as we study and see all of this lines up, line up on line, everything, precept upon precept. All of it comes together. But it takes time to study the Word of God. And, and the ones that are greater in this building I have a great understanding. The more time you put in in prayer, the more time you put in in the Word of God, and in the, your actual life of, of walking and living the Word of God. In other words, being a doer of God's word. God confirms his word spoken to Cyrus, Isaiah 44, chapter 24 to the 28th verse. And then from Nave's topical Bible, 
I have here are issues of a decree for emancipation of the Jews and the rebuilding of the temple. And I have the prophecies and the books there for your notes and everything. But a lesson that we've learned, a lesson to learn in Cyrus, it it is here supposed that very great difficulties would lie in the way of their deliverance and restoration to the land. But it is promised that by divine power, power they shall be removed god shows his glory in that by cyrus obeying his divine province he restored the people back to the land without a battle so when we obey jesus christ which was our type of cyrus when we obey the word of god we'll be restored restoration back into the kingdom of god we would be that redeemed people he's redeeming us Whosoever, that's why it says, whosoever will come. That's an open invitation to whoever will. But it's to whoever will that hears the proclamation, which is the preaching, the word of God. So we're saying that maybe Daniel went in and showed Cyrus his name in the Bible, showed Cyrus this proclamation, showed Cyrus what these words says in not only that Daniel may have showed him, but he may have showed him that it was Jeremiah who prophesied that after 70 years, because you remember Daniel was studying this in the book of Daniel about the 70 years captivity, and after 70 years, they would return to the land. We see providence and sovereignty in the book of Ezra. Let's read the book of Ezra, the first chapter, verse 1 through 4. It says, nine the first year of King Cyrus of Persia. Now, when I say the first year of Cyrus, that is the first year he ruled Babylon because we know that he was ruling and reigning in Persia and he had captured all of these other kingdoms, all of these other lands. And I told you, if you want to go back and read some or research it in secular history, you'll see of Cyrus's triumphs and his victories and there's a Cyrus cylinder that you can read and see this on. But you'll see that in his first year as reigning in Babylon, when he captured Babylon, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. See, so this is scripture saying why Cyrus did this in his first year. Ezra says in verse 1 that now in the first year of Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet, the Lord's spirit stirred up of put in motion the spirit the put in motion the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, So God's spirit was stirred up in him. We don't know what brought about this stirring of the spirit, but maybe it was the preaching of Jeremiah showing him what the word of God had said, showing him that Daniel had declared that they would go back and do this. And so Cyrus seeing that, that's why I say it takes us acting upon the word of God. We can't just hear the word of God. We have to be a doer of the word of God. Him seeing his name there, seeing that, how can they have known this some hundred some years ago that Isaiah prophesied this, that Jeremiah some 40 or 50 years later after Isaiah 
spoke of this, that he spoke of, that I, Jeremiah prophesied this. Cyrus got into action and made this proclamation and said, he says, where am I here? Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. In other words, he was king of the known world then, of all of the known world at that time. All of that in Asia, that part of the eastern part of the world. This part of the world, had it hadn't expanded and it wasn't a known part of the world at that time. Whoever there is among you, he, they, that's that whoever I was telling you about, that's in Ezra. It says, whoever there is among you of all his people, may his God be with him. Now see, some of them that may have went back may not have went back in the name of the God of Israel in Jehovah because there's a lot of people worship a lot of different gods. I was telling you about one of my wife's relatives that was talking about the kingdom of God in Jehovah. You know, it's a lot of people that talks about Jesus, but it's another Jesus. So everybody in the church are not thinking of the same God. It's they're not worshiping. They don't know the true God. That's why Jesus says, be many in the, that day say unto me, Lord, Lord, hadn't we did all this in your name? And hadn't we did all, we had cast out devils and fed the needy. He says, I never knew you because there's a lot of people laboring that don't know the Lord. See, and he told Cyrus himself. Then he says, though you have not known me, Cyrus didn't know the Lord. He was acting upon the word of God. He was doing this, but he didn't know God. I told you he was a pagan worshiper. He was a polytheistic man that worshiped many different gods. But here he's believing, he actually believes this. And you see, he had set this proclamation in, in, in order. And he says, let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is God who He is God who is in Jerusalem. Any in any place where a survival, that is Jewish exile, may live, let the men Gentiles of that place support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. So everybody, wherever you live at in Babylon. Jew or Gentile or whatever, you need to contribute to this cause. You need to help them to go back and do this. Even with God doing this, God is in superintending of managing the events of the world, but notice that the majority of the Jews don't go back. I told you only maybe 30,000, and they have their names in the book of Ezra and the families that went back. When he wants something done through a man, he interfaces with that individual. In other words, he speaks with that individual, whether it's through a man, a dream, or a vision. However, God has this. God has can move upon an individual or move within an individual. Or else he can cause calamity or certain circumstances to come about to individuals react to those circumstances in those situations. God is the first cause. But God is not the, the reason that they are motivated to do that. It was evil within them 
that motivated them to do this. It was the determinate counsel of God. If we were going to look in the book of Acts, that God would deliver his son up to be murdered, to be crucified by evil and wicked men. That was the determinate counsel of God. God did that. But God didn't kill him. It was the evil and wicked men that did that. He didn't, he didn't alter, he, but he ordained. In other words, God allowed this because it all what? Fitted in his plan. They wasn't predestinated to do this. They, this not going to work out for their good. But you see that there were some mixed in with the crowd that were children of God that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. See, a lot of times we get mixed up in the world, and that's why it says to Paul about the Corinthians, to, telling the Corinthians to go easy on some people, and people talk against the homosexuals, against the lesbians, against the child abusers, against this person and these people. But Paul says, such were some of you. We were all sinners. So a lot of people get some kind of drum to beat against a certain group of people, a certain, but were you the same way? Paul said, I was the chief of sinners. He said, I used to go around killing Christians. So we're just as vindictive and evil and wicked. That's our nature. That's who we are. That's why we have to put that individual, that person, the death. So the Laodiceans hadn't put him to death. They were blind and naked and wretched. In other words, they hadn't put on Christ. By blind, they couldn't see. They couldn't spiritually see. But they were very wealthy materially. They thought they had no need of anything. Perhaps without the person even being aware of it, God can insert thoughts into a person's mind to do what he wants him to do. Remember Caiaphas, the high priest, that said that it was necessary for one man to die that for the nation instead of the whole nation pair? Well, he said that God put that in his mouth to say it was scripturally sound. But he didn't know that he was doing a, that that was coming that way. He wasn't a vessel of God. It was a vessel of dishonor. So wicked at men, sometimes we speak things God causes us to speak or do things. You remember he told Judas, what thou doest, doest quickly? Well, he wasn't authorizing Judas. He wasn't anointed that Judas would go out and betray him. That was Judas' nature. He was greedy. He was a money grubber. And he sold Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. That's why he said, woe be unto that man. Well, God's sovereignty was over the situation, but God, Judas wasn't under God's providential care. He was a vessel of Satan. He was a son of Satan. So he says, woe be unto that man. He had already told him when he had chosen him, he said, hadn't I chosen you 12 and one is a devil? The event related here in Jeremiah 70 years, you remember I said to be fulfilled at the word of Jeremiah that said that, the, that Cyrus, this decree, was to fulfill the word of Jeremiah. 
Well, before they went into captivity, that's where they were going to drink the wine of God's wrath. All nations was going to drink of the cup. They drunk of it in Babylon. It says, this whole land, Jeremiah, the 25th chapter, 11 through the 14th verse, it says, this whole land will be a waste and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So instead of people being repatriated back to Jerusalem, back to Judah, the land, the land lay desolate. The ten northern tribes had went in, in captivity. They were the lost tribes. But Jerusalem lay desolate, so the poor of the people, but it was a wasteland. It wasn't, they had razed the temple to the ground. Solomon's temple, they had razed it to the ground. Just like they did Herod's temple a little bit later on. They had tore up the temple. But Jeremiah said, this was because y'all didn't keep Sabbath. You didn't follow God's statutes and his precepts. And God's priests, prophets, and God's word had said, this was going to happen. You remember I say, everything happens to confirm God's word. We hear Jeremiah talking of the 70 years. He says, then when the 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, in other words, Babylonian, says the Lord, for their wickedness and will make the land a perpetual waste. I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it. All that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations, for many nations and great kings will make slaves of them even the Chaldeans who enslave other nations. And I will repay all of it to them according to their deeds, according to the work of their own hands. I'm going to pay. Judgment's going to come back. So judgment has to come to this nation. Judgment has to come to the world because the world is Babylon. It's a Babylonian system. That's why when people say, well, no, the world's not, it has to come to an end because God said it. His word said it. He says, all this shall pass away. His word shall not pass away. But it shall be a new heaven and a new earth. The kingdom of God will be established. This world system, in other words, he's talking about passing away. Satan is the God of this world. And this is a Babylonian system. That's why we read in Revelation when he says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, the great island. He's talking about all nations of the world. He's talking about the world system. Now, this verse does not tell us what political or military or social economic events God may have manipulated to get Cyrus to consider to finally choose this edict. That's why I say, are we watching world history? Are we watching what's going on in our city? Some of us, that's not in our purview to see. It's, it's beyond our understanding. We have to live at the level where we are. It may be too big to grasp. But God does have his servants as a whole that grasp that and passing it, passing it on to others that know in their preaching and teaching, those that it's essential to know will know it. In the last days, it says knowledge and learning shall increase, but it's increasing for those that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Or those that are walking in the ways of God and the things of God that's increasing in faith and that are fulfilling the purpose of God and walking in the vocation which God had called them to walk. This is not an easy walk. It's not a cake walk. 
It would be beyond belief to think that Cyrus thought of it on his own, just out of the blue. That's what I was thinking about. Our thoughts being his thoughts. Mm-hmm. Our thoughts, we have to think as God. He says, your thoughts are not like my thoughts. So that means that Cyrus was the right type of it. Cyrus was right for the declaration of God's word. And that's what I say when you say, whosoever will. That's why we preach the word. In preaching, some will hear. Those with ears to hear will hear. But there are some of us can't hear, can't understand. So that's why I keep telling people, it's not up to me to open your understanding. It's not up to me to, to open your hearing. The Spirit does all of these works. The Spirit do it the works. So if God hadn't called you, God's providence puts his people where they can hear the word. That word stirs something within, like it stirred within Cyrus. It causes them to move toward God. As you move toward God, you get more hungrier for the word. There are some people that don't miss services. There are some people that don't miss praying. You remember Daniel was a great prayer, prayer warrior? Prayer is not easy. Daniel was a man that would stand up for the word of God. This generation, a lot of people can't stand up for the word of God because of their peers, their neighbors and things. It's so complex that they can't break loose from their neighbors. They're not strong enough spiritually because of the physical bonds that's created. And that's why I always pray, loosen the bonds, loosen the time that bind us, pull down the strongholds in our life, loosen the cords of sin that binds us. This particular, uh, however it occurred, God inspired it without removing Cyrus's, now I don't want to say free moral agency, but you remember I say we choose? So Cyrus determined to do this because that's how God had the providential care of Cyrus, had led Cyrus. But notice with Pharaoh, when God spoke to him by Moses, and no matter how many signs, wonders, and miracles he did, Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. Yes. That's why Jesus told him, adulterous generation seek it for a sign. He says if the signs and wonders and things had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that were done in these providences where he had preached and did these signs, they'd have repented long ago, he says, but these people will rise up to judge y'all because y'all repented not. We're not repenting and turning away from our ways. There's things in us that we're not repenting from and turning from. We have to consistently repent and turn to grow in God because that's breaking up our fallow ground so that the word of God could sink in to, to God can expose us to more. But he's not going to give you more if you're trampling on that that he's given you. All you could do is, like the false prophets and things, you could twist and confuse people up that's just that much more with it. Some modern translations translate the phrase, stirred up the spirit of Cyrus as God moved the heart 
Osiris. But that's neither here nor there, but we know God's providential care in raising Osiris had used that particular individual. That's why I say due to the insignificant of man, we have to see ourselves as insignificant. But then with the glory, with with the trying and what we do, as David says, who was who am he but a fleet that the Lord had chosen to establish his house? So if we look at it as, man, I'm just like all of the billions of people in the world, God chose me. So that's going to be me continuing to show my love and my thankfulness that's reciprocating to please God. David was a man after God's own heart. He was trying, everything he do was to please God. So you start living your life to please God. And how can you please him? Walking in the word, doing those things he had called us to do and told us to do. And that's why Cyrus is a type of him. Let's try to wind this thing down here. It says Cyrus claimed that God commanded him. And you remember I said he went forth and made that proclamation. If you believe, we see Cyrus actually believed this, that God had commanded him, just like now we take in the word of God. If we actually believe this, that that belief turns into trust and faith. That's when I say trust and faith could be synonymous with believing, that we start acting upon it, start living it, and start walking on water. In other words, as Peter, when he believed Christ, he stepped out of the boat. Well, that took faith. But even though his trust and belief, it was weak because he hadn't learned to keep his eyes off the circumstances and not looking at the boorishness of the thing and looking around to stay focused on Christ. We have to achieve the goal and not what we're doing. No matter, that's what the Pharisees are, and that's what a lot of religious people are doing. When God starts blessing them in their lives and doing good for them, it goes to their head and it makes them think that they are something. And if a man thinketh he's something when he is nothing, you have a problem there. So we start to think we're doing it. You get holier than thou. You start talking down to people, those sinners, those evil people, of those people, and you're looking down, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a sign, I'm above this. So you, you're about to fall now because pride, that's what happened with Satan. You thought you were better than other people. You thought you were more than, see, that humbleness, that humility is not there. Ezra 1 and 5 states that God also stirred up the spirit of the Jews, Levites, and Benjamites to return to Jerusalem to build the temple, confirming his sovereignty over the whole affair. That some did go back. So that shows God was in this, that all of those thousands that went back to do it, even though they didn't accomplish it, it fizzled out. It fizzled out. We read of that, and I'll tell you about it Saturday. It fizzled out. We see in the book of Haggai, Haggai came in and preaching and say, telling the people, you live in your sealed houses and you have all this. So 
maybe they even took some of the resources, the money and stuff that was supposed to go to the temple. They start building their houses like the people today. There are a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus Christ. It's got people you could go over to a housing complex in any one of these places around here. All of these people will believe they say they believe in Jesus Christ and they'll be around for Easter and Christmas. But look at their houses. The money that they put in their houses on their children and all of their things and God's house is laying in disrepair. He says, that's why I've cursed you with a curse and you have holes in your pocket because you're robbing God. Most of the people that say, you know, they're not paying tithes and offerings. They're not contributing to God. They're, not, they're forsaking the assembling together of themselves. It has fizzled out. That was in Haggai, and God had commanded them, won't you go back and start building the temple? They were living at, at luxury homes, and they were putting all their money on themselves. It's a lot of these people, they getting all kinds of governmental funds and different things. Even the poor people put the, that money on themselves and not toward God. So don't just blame the wealthy people. Some people blame the preachers and everything. Well, are you standing and walking in righteousness? Because that evil wouldn't exist unless you give power to that. Isaiah 45th chapter, 3rd to the 7th verse. I'm trying to hurry through this if I can. I will give you treasures of darkness, the hoarded treasures in other words, and the hidden riches of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, calls you Cyrus the Great by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and of Israel, my chosen, I have also called you by your name and have given you an honorable name, though you have not known me. He didn't know God, and God had did all of this for him. And that's where I say a lot of people don't know God. We don't see, I don't see where Cyrus made an attempt at learning of God. I think he died. I don't know how he died. Well, I do know how he died. And I don't want to preach or teach that because like a lot of that is a secular issue. But there still is his sepulcher, his grave site. You can visit it today and the stuff where he lived and everything. So that's a that's something that's left that Cyrus did exist, and we know that he did all of these things. It's in world history. They can't erase that. And nothing has ever disproved the Bible of what it had stated. So all of these treasures and riches he gave to Cyrus, he says, I am the Lord and there is no one else. There is no God except me. I will embrace and arm you, though you have not known me. There it is again. Though you have not known. This is a Gentile king. This is someone out of from his chosen people. Because like I said, most of the time, it's not the Christian people that are doing the work of God. The Christian people a lot of times are hung up, so hung up on themselves. That's why even I have an article here. I didn't get it printed. I didn't even copy it. But even Cal Thomas talking about this against this Christian nationalism or national Christianity and all this that the politicians and the churches are espousing. But this is a Gentile king. That's why Joseph was a type of this Gentile. He was given Potiphar's asphanet 
as a wife, but he married a Gentile bride. Christ marries a Gentile bride. The church is a Gentile bride. People keep talking about the Jews. Now don't talk against the Jews. He hadn't dispersed the Jews. Kanye West, they say he's no longer a billionaire. Everybody's cutting loose his ties, cutting loose their sponsorship, the advocacy of him because he spoke against anti-Semitic language. He spoke against them and, and, and defamed them and said things. So he's lost billions, you know, millions and millions. Of, he's no longer a billionaire because of his mouth and what he said. This is a man that was playing with God a while back, saying God had told him to do this. So we can see maybe this is God. We know now that this wasn't of God. All of those people, I don't know how much they paid for tickets to go in at that thing they held at Bethany or whatever. We see through secular history different things that happen. He says that people may know from the rising to the setting of the sun, that is the world over, that there is no one except me. I am the Lord and there is no one. The one forming light and creating darkness. Forming light and creating darkness, causing peace and creating disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. So people, oh, God didn't do The devil brought Katrina in here to destroy it because of the homosexual, the gay pride parade and all that. Ah, oh, don't come here with this foolishness. That's why I say some people can believe anything. Because was it all of New Orleans gay and messed up? No, it, it's in God's sovereign will. But his providential care was over his people at that time. Now, if you got a hobby horse you want to ride and you got uh, want to bash this group and say this against these people, that's you and your problem, but don't try to drag me into it. God raised up Cyrus to do his bidding to prove him in all the world who is the true God. Uh, okay, so we see here what God walks with us and talks with us and leads us and that God's providential care in the dealing with Cyrus here, and that that's what we're looking at, is that God's speaking the words that he had promised. If we find and see ourselves in those, in the word of God, through a preaching, through the proclamation of God's word, because without a preaching, you can't hear it. And faith cometh by hearing the word of God. And if you hear it and you act upon it in faith and you believe and you walk therein, it takes, it's a combination of a lot that I just couldn't go over the whole thing of salvation at this time. But we must repent. It's Repentance is in there, a daily repentance of turning away from self. But there's a regeneration that occurs. We're not just dying to self, but we're also growing the new man. We need to put Christ on and do the work of God. We need to go forward and walk in the light as he's in the light. Live a life as he lived. That's why he died, so we can live a life of overcoming. 